Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Alchemy Lab podcast with me, Colin Holland. I'm the author of The Secret of the Alchemist, and each week it's my privilege to invite a real live alchemist into my lab to talk about their personal journey of transformation toward true empowerment. In my book, I reveal the secret that's hidden within The Alchemist by Paolo Kahlo, book which many of you have read, but by how using that secret I was able to overcome my personal fears that were holding me back from following my own true destiny. My wonderful guest this week has also been on an amazing personal journey and I'm thrilled to have all the way from Australia the famous Paul Wallace. Welcome Paul. G'day Colin, thanks so much for having me today. Thank you for traveling all the way from Australia by through the digital universe um, to be with you. You must be exhausted, um, but it's the only way to go, I think, in this situation we're in. I am ourselves in at the moment. Happy to have safely arrived. Okay, quick introduction, Paul. You are one of the presenters of the hugely popular online channel Fifth Kind TV, and you're also a very popular speaker, but primarily you're a researcher and author of books on spirituality and mysticism. Um, what are you working on at the moment, Paul? And did I describe you accurately? Yeah, that's, that's a very good start point. At the moment, most of my work revolves around creating documentary content. So that's for the Fifth Kind TV. I also have my own channel on YouTube, which is the Paul Wallace channel. And the content I'm producing revolves around questions of human origins, and human potential. And I probe into some of the world's mythologies and uh, ancestral narratives for the insights they have on those questions. So that's a big part of what I'm doing. And a lot of work around Escaping from Eden, my new book that's out. And as people find out about that, I have people contacting me almost every day. I have people contacting me with experiences they've had which are out of the box and they need some help processing it and so coaching is a big part of what i'm doing at the moment uh, as well okay so we'll, let's come on to that then um later uh, don't don't let us forget to talk about um the kinds of topics that people are contacting you with because okay it's probably going to be guaranteed paul that once people have, have listened to this podcast some of them are going to want to contact you as well all right um, sure. which is awesome. And so just for the record, you um, you have published or about to publish the, the book Escaping from Eden. That's right. It was published on uh, April the 24th. It was released in the UK and the 1st of May in the USA and around the world. Right. So it's in, it's in, the, um, it's in the shops that aren't open, but it's available online as well, presumably. <laughs> yes, absolutely. If you go to Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Kindle, all online bookshops, you should find it there. Okay. Now we're going to do, um, look, I'm going to put you on the spot a bit. I'm going I'm to do two things today in this conversation. Um, look, we've already whetted everybody's appetite. They're all going to want to know now. Everybody wants to know, so what is he saying about escaping from Eden? What is, what is this extraterrestrial, uh, paranormal stuff that he researches? So we're going to cover that for sure. Well, I, I, I'm, going to, I'm going to, if this makes you uncomfortable, Paul, just, just say, all right, I'm going to probe a little bit deeper here, if I may. 
Um, yes. Because one of the things about being in the Alchemy Lab is that the listeners are all really interested also in, in you and your personal journey. So um, I'm going to put you on the spot straight away. Um, so hold on to your chair, sit tight. Okay. Here it comes. Um, if you had to choose in your own personal faith, soul, um, personal legend journey, to use the alchemist um, metaphor, was there a, ever a moment, was there a moment of transformation when the Paul that was struggling to, to live the dreams that he wanted to dream, something happened and then that enabled you to move on, that, that moment of personal transformation? Well, there have been a couple of moments that have been real pivot points for me in my life. Uh, the first was when I was 17 and I had a powerful spiritual experience that was part of my uh, deciding to be a Christian. But looking back, there was another really interesting moment when I was 33. And I had this feeling that my life was at a pivot, that it was almost as if the first act of a play had closed and the second act was opening up. It was almost a feeling of a new life ahead of me and I had some decisions to make. And I remember at that time I was uh, reading one of the great mythologies of the world, uh, Winnie the Pooh. Uh, I was reading Winnie the Pooh and the house at Pooh Corner. Yeah. And I was just, just for my leisure, just for some brain candy. And I was amusing myself with um, identifying with the different characters in, in the story and, and recognizing that in parts of my early life, I, I could identify with Piglet, uh, you know, this small creature who's a, a little bit overwhelmed, sometimes with Eeyore, a little bit uh, on the gloomy side of things from time to time. Very often, I could see myself as Winnie the Pooh, uh, happily going with the flow and the kind of bear who might just turn up at your door uh, on a Thursday morning just to wish you a happy Thursday and because it's time for a snack. And I was just amusing myself with thoughts like that when it was as vivid as a voice speaking to me and saying, for this next chapter in your life, you need to bring forward your inner Tigger. You need to be more like Tigger. And I knew instantly what that meant, that I needed to bring more energy to the next part of my life, more bounce, more enthusiasm, more joy. Tigger's a wonderful character who always expects to find joy and always finds it. He, he has a few tumbles, but he always recovers really quickly. And it was as if a voice said, that is what you will need for the next part of your life. And I made a very conscious decision to respond to that voice and to begin embracing and enhancing my inner Tigger. And the things that flowed from that decision really were life-changing. Within a matter of months, I was living in a new country, in a new job. It led to me falling in love and getting married and having a beautiful family. Wow. And I can look back and see there was this moment when I was spoken to, when I was reading Winnie the Pooh, and the decision I made in response was life transforming. I didn't expect that answer, and I don't think anybody else <laughs> expected that answer. Um, this is fascinating, because there was a couple of years ago, uh, was released 
uh, a new movie called Christopher Robin. I don't know if you've, you've seen that. Um, and it very much examines uh, the story, the, the, the whole concept of Winnie the Pooh from um, a, a Jungian psychoanalysis point of view where 100 acre wood is in fact um, the, the unconscious of our, of, our, of our mind. And buried in that unconscious are uh, aspects of our childhood of, represented by Tigger and by Winnie the Pooh and Eeyore and, and so on. And, um, and uh, the character, uh, have you seen that movie? No, I haven't. I, I think I started watching it and uh, it started too slow for me. Okay. Well, <laughs> you might want to revisit and, and go All back right. because it's, um, it's moral or, or the main point of the movie is not that dissimilar from yeah, the voice that spoke to you. It, it sounds like it's unpacking some of the insights I was getting when I was reading it all the way back. Yeah, exactly. So the Tigger... Um, if I'm, if I'm, oh, by the way, um, thanks for not knocking over anything in the lab when you came in, Paul. Um, <laughs> the the alchemy lab is full of lots of strange bits of apparatus bubbling away in various corners, and um, uh, yeah, if you could just be careful not to knock anything over. Yeah, um, I'll be careful. Okay, so just to remind everybody, we are in a virtual um, alchemy lab, and one of the things that the ancient alchemists used to talk a lot about. Um, is um, this thing called the secret fire. And, and I've thought about Winnie the Pooh as well quite a bit. And I think in a way, would you, would you, would you think there's a similarity between a Tigger and what, what we might in everyday language call our passion? Was it, was it an, an igniting, yes. a, a refiring of passion in you that, that made this change happen? Yes, it was. It was about not being embarrassed to identify what my passions and enthusiasms were and, and to go for those things. Right. And, and to know that it's a, a great joy in life if you can spend time in things that you love and time in things that you're passionate about. I think, yeah, it triggers a lot to do with that. Got it. So, everybody, um, if you haven't read Winnie the Pooh, go and read it immediately um especially in the light of what paul has, has just encouraged us to do uh because it is um definitely um a, a metaphor for looking at those childhood tendencies that we so many of us have buried and dug you know deep into the ground the the dreams of fulfilling your passions and so on and um we're all grateful that you heard that voice, Paul, because it meant that you've now got on and produced all this amazing stuff. So tell us just a little bit um, about your work as a researcher, and then I, I really want to dive into this, this latest book, Escaping from Eden. So around the concept of research, what, what, are, you, what are you researching? Well, right now, I'm really enjoying discovering and rediscovering uh, world mythologies. My start point in that really was as a preacher uh, because I was in Christian ministry for 33 years and I made the study of the scriptures uh, a big part of my work. Um, it informed my preaching, my teaching and my counselling and then that led to reading other things, uh, mystical traditions around the world, other mythologies 
And as I say, right now, I'm fascinated in, in those from the point of view of what do they tell us about who we are and where we're from and what our potential is. So researcher is, you know, back in the 60s, people would describe themselves as seekers uh, or truth seekers. And that's, that's how I understand the word researcher. Okay, fantastic. Let's talk about escaping from Eden then. Your premise um, in, in, the, in the first few pages and, and the introduction so on of that is that um, you were like many um, Orthodox Christians, you were somebody who um, put great value in terms of their faith on, on the Old Testament and the early books of the Old Testament, particularly Genesis. Um, particularly the stories of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden and so on, hence the title Escaping from Eden. So why, why did you call the book Escaping from Eden? What, is that, um, are you talking about Adam and Eve getting out of Eden or, or is it something else? Oh, well, there are a few layers to that. I, I, I quite, I'm quite happy with the title I picked because it is intriguing. You think of Eden and you think of paradise. Why would anyone want to escape from paradise? And so immediately the title tells you maybe there's something else going on in that story. And that was my thought really about the stories of beginnings in Genesis from the beginning of my spiritual journey, because my spiritual experience when I was 17 led me to uh, want to follow Jesus. And it was as a follower of Jesus that I started reading Genesis and the Old Testament and when you come to it that way round, you have questions right from the get-go. Because if Jesus shows us what God is like, then you don't have to read too far through Genesis before some claims are being made about God that are very hard to process. He seems to have a very different character and behave very differently. And so those questions and anomalies were part of my faith and thinking right from the get-go. But in the research that I did leading up to escaping from Eden, it was a matter of actually taking the time to go back and drill down into some of these questions and anomalies. When you preach from Genesis, you're confronted with these stories that don't quite make sense from time to time. In fact, if you sit down with a children's Bible and a child, the child will quickly point out a lot of these anomalies. <laughs> yeah. asking, uh, uh, why does it say, let us make? Let us make humans to look like one of us. Well, one of who? And then the snake appears. And who's the snake? Where did the snake come from? And couldn't God see what was going to happen? Couldn't he see something would go wrong? And then the death penalty for eating a piece of fruit. What sense does that make? And then you get to Genesis 6, you have to explain a genocide to the child who's asking questions. And so any adult who sat down with a Bible and a child or any preacher who's tried to preach positive messages from it will often come away saying, gee, yeah, I need to think again about that. And that doesn't quite make sense, does it? And it's just a matter of finding the moment and finding the time to sit down and say, what is going on? Because there are clues all the way through that there's another layer of story that we're missing, something that makes better sense than what's on the surface. And so Escaping from Eden was about drilling down into some of those questions and finding out about the, the source narratives on which Genesis is based. And would, it, would, it, would you mind? 
would, would you mind, Paul, if I drop a bit of a, a, a semi-spoiler? Is it okay for me to drop a semi-spoiler? Yeah, yes. You've, you've, you've teased the audience now so much. They're all going to go, what, what, what? You know, what is it? That, um, <laughs> what is this thing that he's discovered? Okay, so I'm going to drop a little spoiler in here. So the, the general thesis that you walk away uh, from your research, as far as I can read from Escaping from Eden, is that our origins actually began with a visit from extraterrestrials. Okay? Do you want to expand on that? Okay, I've dropped the bombshell. So we're, we're talking, Paul believes, I'm, I'm assuming, that part of the answer to the beginning of the complexity and, the, and mystery and this amazing, wonderful thing that we call life on Earth, um, and certainly our part in it began from outer space. Am I right? Well, yes, began and was finessed. Um, Okay. So the idea that our evolution as a species involved an external intervention, and it was the external intervention that we read about in the stories of beginnings that had to do with enhancing our capacity as an intelligent, conscious, technological species. I believe our ancestors were here before that intervention, but there was this critical uh, external intervention and contact and as i did the research for the book i was amazed to remember that that was a belief held by a number of really significant church fathers right at the beginning of christianity they held to that belief they got it from plato uh, ultimately if you go to dna research there are many scientists right from the beginning including francis crick the co-discoverer of the double helix of dna who believe that the genetic coding for conscious intelligent life came to planet Earth from outer space. And so we've got that ET beginning as well. So it's quite a layered story that emerges, and it emerges the moment you start reading Genesis alongside what appear to be the source narratives of the Mesopotamian traditions. Okay, I can hear a couple of people turning in their grave, uh, Paul. Um, um, on, on the one hand, I can see Charles Darwin feeling extremely uncomfortable from uh, with what you just said. Okay, so he's he's going. Mm, hold on a minute over there. And then on the on the other hand, I've got you know centuries of um, theologians and and Bible um, you know Bible researchers and translators and you know turning in their graves on on the other side. You quite bravely don't just you know, do you know, almost the, the cliche thing, which is to, to channel fundamentalist Christian, you know, to, sorry, to challenge fundamentalist Christianity and say, hey guys, you know, come on, really, seriously, can you, can you really believe that this is a factual account of how the world began? But on the other hand, you're equally brave in challenging the, the, the science community. You're, you're saying to them, is there something you're not telling us? Um, how, how, did, how are you reconciling those two things? Well, I hope that what my book is doing is, is joining some dots. I, I think in parts of the scientific community, we're being told a great deal to challenge some of our traditional views. DNA research is one, but if you go to quantum research, you'll find plenty there that suggests a, a somewhat different understanding of the universe and where we all came from. 
So I wouldn't say I'm, I'm challenging uh, science with a capital S as joining some dots and thinking through some implications. And as I said before, I'm certainly not the first in the tradition of Judaism or Christianity to say, hold on a minute, we've got some stories here that we present as God's stories, but that may in fact be stories of something else. They may report our ancestors' contact with a colonizing species from somewhere else. So as I say, significant church fathers way back in the beginning talked about these questions a little more openly uh, until about uh, 144 AD when uh, there were some votes went a certain way and some excommunications and it became a bit of a taboo. And it really remained a taboo all through the centuries. It, little signals were given that ETCCs weren't really acceptable. Uh, 1600, we were still burning people at the stake for just suggesting there might be intelligent life on other planets. And so another thing that really caught my attention and told me I needed to sit down and think about this was in 2009, uh, there was a, an amazing event. It was called by Pope Benedict XVI. He called on the Pontifical Academy of Sciences to convene a colloquium, a five-day symposium to discuss and they made very public what they were talking about, the theological implications of contact with other civilizations. And uh, my jaw dropped when I heard that because I thought, where on earth is this coming from? And they did it with this um, extraordinary sense of urgency. When the spokespeople emerged from the, that colloquium, one of the most amazing things I heard was from a theologian called Reverend Dr. Guy Consolmagno, who said, we shouldn't be surprised to encounter ETs. We shouldn't call them aliens because they'll be children of the same Heavenly Father. And we shouldn't be surprised to meet them because they're in the Bible, he said. They're in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And when he said that, I, I thought, really? Could I really have missed that? Because I've been a believer for more than 30 years. I've been training pastors in how to interpret the Bible for more than 15 years. Could I really have missed something as glaring as aliens in the Bible? And so when I finally had the time, I wanted to respond. I felt he'd thrown a gauntlet down and go back to the text and see what was in there. I had an idea there might be one or two ETs lurking about in the text, but what I found when I did a little bit of translation work is that the theme of ET contact begins in the first two sentences of Genesis and doesn't disappear from the Bible until the end of Revelation. And it was like taking the red pill in the Matrix, a whole new world <laughs> opened up for me. And I, I couldn't go back to the old one and read it the old way. It just didn't make sense anymore. And so Escaping from Eden really shares that journey that I went on over those two or three years that I was thinking all this through. So just in context then, and that's all fascinating, and I'm sure as a result of this podcast today, every, everybody's going to go out and want, to, and want the book, Paul, hopefully. I'm sure they will. I strongly recommend it. It's a great read. Um, anybody particularly, I think, who's asking the kind of questions that, you, that you're asking, anybody particularly who maybe has some tradition in their, in their journey um, around um, the Christian faith, the Orthodox Christian faith, will find it fascinating. It, it is. There's a couple of uh, things, and then we'll move on a little bit. Um, you don't really challenge the existence of God. You 
you don't say, um, I didn't see, if I missed it, correct me, but I don't re recall you saying, well, therefore, if we, if all this is true, and if we project these suppositions to their logical conclusion, there is no God. Do you want to just talk about that a bit more? Yeah, sure. I believe in God um, because of the confidence I have in the teachings of Jesus and because of the way that really corresponds with the experiences I've had in the time that I've been seeking to be a follower of Jesus. I don't believe in God because of reading Genesis a particular way. So in that sense, going to the sources and working out some of these stories are about something else. They don't strike at the foundations for me of my belief in God. But at the same time, the word God is a, it's a funny word. People understand that word differently. And I was really intrigued to follow up on uh, these church fathers who were such great fans of Plato. And so I spent some time reading Plato and to my surprise discovered that his view of this external intervention in human evolution uh, didn't remove a belief in God for him either but he had a slightly different way of talking about God. And he, he's an amazing writer, absolutely love Plato, and he reaches these far-reaching conclusions from uh, the application of logic to things we observe. That's, that's his big, big thing. But he gets some knowledge from other places too, which he's open about. But he reckons that on the basis of reason applied to things we can all observe, he would conclude that in the beginning was consciousness, that consciousness preceded the material universe. Now, my ears pricked up when I read that because that's what quantum research is beginning to tell us today. Yeah. And so in the beginning, there's this unified field of consciousness, which means intelligence, love, harmony. And then the material universe came into existence as the expression or the fractalization of that consciousness and that when you begin to ask what does that mean in concrete terms because that all sounds so abstract what does it mean that the universe exists to express divine consciousness as soon as you ask in nuts and bolts terms you're talking about panspermia this idea of the genetic coding for conscious intelligent life permeating the universe and generating the kinds of life that we're familiar with on planet earth and so that's a somewhat different vision of god it's not anthropomorphic but it's not impersonal either because the the sense of connection with the divine that comes from that view is very very intimate yeah and that all matches the experiences that i would say i've had of god or spirit or the divine and it's why i'm more willing to use other language these days Perhaps in the past, I'm comfortable with people talking about the universe as something conscious and intelligent. Okay. Um, okay. And, All right. Uh, so, of divine intelligence. Got it's it. It's a different view. Got it. Okay. Um, sorry to interrupt you, but I just had a thought, and I just didn't want it to dissipate in my brain because I, you, you're making me ask all kinds of questions internally, and I'm going to—they're just going to spew out a little bit now. Okay. Um, in, in my book, right. in my book, The Secret of the Alchemist, I actually um, 
I give that consciousness a name um, just because I need to work with it through through my story um, as well. Um, I actually call it unconditional love because yes. I like Plato, like you, like so many great you know, thinkers, great and small, down through the the ages. Um, we're conscious of this entity and how to name it um, and how to regard it and how to see it in our mind's eyes is, is a struggle and always has been. So I, in my mind, I thought, well, does it have a character? Does this, con is this consciousness um, have a particular personality for want of a better word? And I came to the conclusion through Plato, through Jesus, through all the other great thinkers, and, and even reading The Alchemist by Paolo Kahler, it seems that one of the things we do all agree on, wherever we come from, whichever angle, even, even Orthodox Christians in their belief of you know, an actual godlike person on a throne somewhere, is that the, the personality is that of unconditional love which leaves a lot of issues when you start to um, talk about the Old Testament, as you so rightly said, because there's a lot, of, a lot of the personality of the God of the Old Testament that doesn't feel very loving, um, in fact. Uh, in fact, it feels pretty destructive on many occasions, in fact, impossible mm. to avoid. But um, so for many people, I think one of the, one of the parting moments for them where they maybe have been involved in orthodox christianity but they've, they've moved away has been this challenge that they've faced where they this problem of reconciling the, the the personality of god as they see it which is unconditional love with the stories in in the old testament and i know in your book you very eloquently um, talk in terms of the the gluing on of the Old Testament to the New Testament, and and how that the, the in fact the early church fathers made that decision, correct? Yes, and there was a big wrestle about it because clearly uh, some of the church fathers didn't like the final redaction and the image of God that uh, emerged from the Hebrew Scriptures as the Old Testament, and they were arguing. Um, sometimes you have to read between the lines a little bit to hear this, but what they're really saying is, wouldn't it be more useful if we glued Plato on to the Gospels and the New Testament? Isn't that kind of international thought a better preparation for what Jesus was on about? And unfortunately, um, that whole conversation sort of stopped um, in the first couple of centuries and, and didn't continue. But I think it was a very good question. Yeah, it is. It is. OK, we're going to move on. Um, thanks, Paul, for giving us a, quite a deep dive, actually, into your book there. That, that was that was fantastic. I've got a potion here. Um, hold on. I'm just going to stir it up a little bit. Oh, okay, that's one of my, my here we go. Yeah, there, we go. there it is. OK, oh, that now good. Um, this potion, I've been working on this for a long time. In fact, for as long as I can remember, when I first started the lab when I was about 18 years old, which is much, much too long ago to mention. Um, the label on the glass is, um, he who drinks this potion will know the meaning of life. I told you this was gonna be a hard one, all right? And 
look, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I've got all the ingredients in it that I that I need. Um, so I'm going to hope that you can offer. You're a researcher, Paul. So have you, from based on your research and your own personal experience, are there a couple of things that absolutely need to be in this this potion if we are to understand what life really is and why we're here? I think that's what I want this potion to tell us. Any any offerings? Yes, I think um, love and storytelling. Oh, story uh, and okay. storytelling. I'm not going to let you off the hook on that. Tell me why storytelling? Um, I have found storytelling an amazing way of discovering things about life, things about myself, things about others. And the way I came into it was my maternal grandfather was Welsh and he was uh, very beloved by myself and my brother. We would often stay at my gran and gramp's house uh, at weekends. And my gramp generally got up at about five o'clock in the morning. So by the time my brother Mark and I were up, he'd been up for about three hours. And we would often begin the day staying with them by saying, oh, what have you been doing, Gramp, this morning? And he would always answer with something that was preposterous. Uh, he would weave these absurd stories of adventure and danger and thrills and spills and mysteries. And he would just make them up on the spot. And Mark and I would be rolling around laughing at these great stories. And I don't know if he did that for anyone else in his life, but he did that for us. And when he passed away, I made a decision, didn't tell anyone about this, but I thought Grant was wonderful at weaving stories like that. Somebody in the family needs to carry that torch now that Grant's gone and I'm gonna carry it. So I decided to turn myself into the storyteller. And it became a really significant part of my ministry in, in preaching, in coaching, uh, pastoring and counseling. Uh, I would often be with someone and just get the inspiration to say, well, let me tell you something that happened. Let me tell you this story. And then it would spark some, some amazing creativity in the conversation and would really get into into deep and wonderful things so i began to see the magic of storytelling in that way but there's another aspect to it that i think when we really get into storytelling we can start telling the truth without realizing that's what we're doing and i have come to believe that there's far less fiction in the world than i used to think that so much of our fiction is out there telling us the truth about things. I mean, take Winnie the Pooh. I think the reason Winnie the Pooh is still a really live canon of literature a hundred odd years later is because it's telling us the truth about ourselves. And I had an amazing experience. I must tell you the story of discovering the magic of storytelling when I was about 20 years old. And I went on a, um, a mission. It was a, a beach mission. We, we set up a, a coffee shop mission. And we had some local young people helping us with it. And I was involved in um, church at that time, and we were experiencing phenomena that we would call words of knowledge uh, or prophetic words. And from time to time, people would visit our church. You just seem to be able to download information 
about people while they were praying for them. And we found this amazing and fascinating and, and really impressive. And we, we didn't really know how to do it. So we just turned it into a game where we would pretend to have words for each other. You know, uh, Brother mm. Colm, uh, I think the Lord's given me a word for you and it's, it's this. And we would do this as a, a game. Well, I did this um, one morning with a young guy called Phil, who I didn't know very well. And I should say, this is a story against myself. Um, I was much younger uh, when I did this. It wasn't smart or clever, but this is what happened. So I went up to him and I said, uh, Phil, I think I have a word for you. Um, uh, have you had a traumatic experience with a, and then I just let my mind sort of go free. And I said, with a peach. And his face fell and, and he went pale. And he said, how on earth did you know that? And I thought, oh no, <laughs> what have I done? I've, actually, I've stumbled into something real here. So I just played it cool and I said, Phil, why don't you tell me about it? So he told me. And what it was, was uh, some months ago, he had um, uh, fallen in love with this girl. He thought she was absolutely wonderful. He was going to ask her out. He was a little bit shy and hesitant. And then along came some other bloke, Smooth Jack McSmooth, uh, who asked her out and ended up with the girl. And he was furious with Smooth Jack McSmooth and uh, decided to plot his revenge. And the opportunity came when there was a town fair and Smooth Jack was on one of the floats uh, driving through the town. And um, so Phil secreted himself in the crowd with a rotten peach, which he threw at Smooth Jack as the float went by and he knocked him over. Didn't hurt him, thank goodness. He, he just was very embarrassed. And Phil felt terrible about what he'd done and had been wrapped with guilt in the months since. And now here was this bloke saying, Phil, have you had a traumatic experience with a peach? And it did, so he'd confessed. <laughs> So I, I didn't know where to put myself. So I just said, Phil, look, I think God just wants you to know he understands and he completely forgives you. And we left it at that. But I walked away from that experience thinking, how on earth did that happen? How did I get that information? And the answer was, I let my mind go into storytelling mode. And in telling the story, I started speaking truth without knowing that's what it is. And so there is this amazing magic that goes on. It happens when people write songs. It happens when people create poetry. And it certainly happens when people become storytellers. And it, it has this magical power of waking our consciousness up to new realities, new awareness, new information that's powerful and can be life transforming so in in the story then there is um a means to convey what it is to be human what it is to to love what it is to suffer what it is to rejoice um, and so on and so on so totally right. I, you know that was missing from the poet so hold on one second i'm just pouring in um that lovely story that's gone into here we go right there. And i should say listening to stories as well not just telling stories but i think often in listening to stories if you can listen and know what grips you or what makes you buzz yeah that's telling you something about you and your life too yeah yeah um 
I was talking recently with somebody called Ryan Foland. Um, he's, he's one of the uh, podcasts be before this podcast. And he says that when you start to tell the story of the real vulnerable you, then you enable people to connect with you. And um, that story that you just told there of Phil and the giant peach, uh, which is, I've, I've given it a name. <laughs> Phil and the giant peach. Um, Very good. You like that? Okay. Um, that's got a lot of um, a lot of real insight into personal you know, personal emotion, jealousy, feeling of you know, failure, feeling you know uh, it reveals lack of self-esteem and lack of courage, and, and it's full of just that tiny little story is full of so much me. Um, I think that was probably why I wrote my book, um, The Secret of the Alchemist, because I've, so many people have read Paolo Kahlo's book, The Alchemist, and felt really moved by that tale um, but then so I found so many people were struggling to actually identify what it was what were the specifics in that story that, that touched them so hopefully my book will help people do that with that story I've got we're nearly out of time we're very much out of time actually Paul um, gosh how it flies when you start telling stories doesn't it <laughs> and that's the other thing. that's right Thank you. I've got my meaning of life potion even even more improved, and I'll um, once I've got it sorted, I'll I'll pop it in a little bottle and send it over to Canberra, Australia for Love you. It. Um, and Thank then, you. Yeah. Okay. Um, I've just got one because we've told a lot of stories. I've just got one final question. Just moving forward, just just really briefly, if you can. Um, we're all in this time. This podcast is being recorded. <clears throat> at the time that we're all in lockdown because of COVID-19, let's, let's name it. Um, what, what's giving you hope for the future and your, your young family and those, those you love and just the world at large? What, what hopes have you got that's going to get us through this? Two things really come to mind. Uh, during this lockdown, what I've noticed in the suburb of Canberra that I live in is when I go out on my bike ride in the morning or my walk in the afternoon, because we are allowed out to do that, I find that neighbours are looking at each other and acknowledging each other in a way that we didn't before. I live in a little townhouse complex and because we live sort of on top of one another, we tend to ignore each other in the normal run of things. But during these days, we're actually stopping to ask, how are you going? Do you have everything you need? And there's just a little bit more of looking out for each other in that way. And as people ask questions about what is our economy going to look like on the other side of this crisis, uh, and certainly if it, if it happens again, I wonder if we need to rediscover one another in our communities in a fresh way. And going back to my gran and grand, I think about how they lived. They lived in a little run of 16 uh, semi-detached houses and they all had long strip gardens uh, and they produced their own food. So one garden had a little orchard, a lot of them grew vegetables, one had goats, one had chickens. The father of one of the families was really good at sort of mechanical things. And the way they shared life together, it was, it was not a barter economy, it was a sharing economy where one mum would say to a child, I've got these spare eggs, would you like to take them to your mum, see if she can use them? I've got all these apples, take those home with you. And they shared life in those kinds of ways. And I 
wonder if we need to rediscover one another in a fresh way as we think about how to live on the other side of the COVID-19 lockdowns. And I'm encouraged to see that in my circles and where I'm living, there is a little bit more of that looking out for one another than I've seen before. So that makes me a little bit hopeful, but also coming out of all the research that I've been doing around escaping from Eden, I'm really encouraged to see that through all the ages, different cultures, the cultures that curate these stories of, of ancient ET contact, they also curate mystical traditions and shamanic traditions that give us tools to help us live less fearful and to help us live in a way that's more conscious and more confident and more expansive. And I think as we listen to some of these ancestral narratives, there are great treasures there for us to equip us to have more expansive, more fulfilling kinds of lives today. And I'm finding great inspiration in those sources. Okay. Thank you, Paul. On behalf of everybody listening, this has been fascinating, illuminating, um, inspiring time together. Thank you so much for uh, coming on, on the podcast today. Maybe your new book um, might be called, if, if, you, if I might take the liberty, if you let, let me have the liberty, um, Creating Eden, because that is potentially what we should aim for. Um, as, as we come out of this time together. Um, blessings I on your family. Blessings for, uh, for your young, young family there. Um, keep safe and thank you again, everybody. If, um, if you want to read Paul's book, um, the latest book, it's called Escaping from Eden. You'll find it on, on Amazon. And um, Paul, I hope it's not too long before we're able to have another conversation. Oh, Colin, thanks so much for having me today. I love this lab and I've got to come here again. Okay. All right. Um, I'll be all uh, anticipation for that moment. Thank you so much. Likewise. Bye.